let us pray. Father, we do thank you so much for this opportunity, your word. Thank you for this book, interesting book that it is. Help us to see, understand, know, and glean uh, truth and wisdom from it. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Interesting book. It's a book in the Bible that is actually not written to the church. Yet, the church used it in their worship services. And when we, if you, how many of you have never read Philemon? Anybody here never read Philemon? Okay. Never read study. I mean, I've read it, I think, once. But. Yeah, just kind of read through it, but you never really thought much. Philemon is is a personal note. It isn't even much more than a, I mean, it's it's barely a letter. It's just a quick, couple of quick thoughts that Paul put down on paper to send back with a slave that had run away from his master. Interestingly enough, Paul happened to know the master. When they ran, when 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 five, or when Onesimus found Paul in Rome, he it just so happened that Paul knew his his boss or his his master. So Paul is sending him back. We'll read through it here in just a moment. But Paul sends him back with this note. And it isn't necessarily, on its surface, theological. But I want to submit that it is. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of points in here, even in this very short, quick note that Paul writes to... I wrote a longer email today than... Than the, than, the, than the whole book of Philemon. So maybe one day in 2,000 years, my email that I sent today will be used as a... Uh, I doubt it, but... <laughs> but it's, it's, it seems extremely insignificant, and it just seems odd. It's in every other book, almost many other of Paul's writings say, and to the church at, or read this also to the church at, uh, pass this around to the other churches. But in this, he doesn't even do that. This is a personal note to a friend. Was Paul in jail? And Paul was in jail at this time, yes. So why would it be included in canon? Why would it be why would it be included in the Bible? What makes it that important? That's our task in for two weeks in 25 verses. I want you to, to pray about it, think about it as we talk about it tonight, but then also for the next week. Read ahead, obviously. Read the whole letter. And tell me, why did God include this? Why is this important? Why would they read this to the church? That's an interesting thought. And I don't know that I have all of the answers, but I have a couple of why I think that why it's important. But... It's interesting. So, let's go to Philemon. I'm going to be reading from the uh, uh, English Standard Version. Philemon chapter 1. <laughs> that's a, that's you know, a, actually, I have read this before, so I do have one question for you. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, we'll get to it at the time. So. Not right off the bat? Well, it's verse 22. Oh, yeah, we're we, not going we'll to get, get next there. week. We'll get there next week. Get there next week? Yeah. 
Hey, that's your day. Got to come back next week, man. All right. Philemon or Philemon. Philemon, that would be the, uh, that would be the Jamaican uh, <laughs> pronunciation. Yes, but Philemon. Philemon. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So he does greet the church, but everything he says from here on out really doesn't have to do with the, with the church. He's just saying, hey, say hi to everybody for me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have, that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Have we ever heard that before? That's kind of his greeting. That's kind of like, you know, for me, when I write notes or, or letters or emails to people, I, I, I don't like to, to start with, dear so-and-so. Because that sounds very formal and I'm not much of a formal guy. And if I know somebody personally. Now, if it's a formal letter, if I'm writing to somebody I don't know or I don't know real well, I'll say something. I'll, I'll, I'll start it like that. But usually, if I'm going to write... Uh, an email to so when somebody in this room would write, "Hey, how you doing?" Well, that's my greeting. Hey, uh, and it's informal, but it, here this 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 phrase that he uses, I thank my God always when I remember in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith. This is new. This is this is a hint to why I believe that. Um, Paul is why it's included here in the in the Bible. I and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse eight. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be, might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. So we're going to stop there for tonight. But so we're going to go through those first 14 verses. So Paul is writing to a guy named Philemon. Philemon um, is a um, gentleman from Colossae. So he is he's a um, he's a member of the Colossian church. 
he has a home church. There's group, there's a group of people that meet in his home, but he is a part of the church, the church of the Colossians. So what do we remember of Colossians? Who are they? Anybody know? Remember? Actually, have we gone through Colossians yet? I think we have. Yeah. What was Colossae like? But at least you you admit it. That's a, it's admitting it that gets you halfway there. Colossae wasn't Colossae the the town that was a kind of a retirement center for Roman soldiers. Do you remember that? That it was a place where the Roman soldiers. Uh, would receive land if, but it was also it was a trade route. It was a major city. It was a there was a it was kind of like the other big cities that Paul went to. Paul went to large cities that had a, had a major impact. Uh, lots of people could hear the gospel quickly. So Philemon was a. Uh, we, we know a couple things just from that first line. He has a home, okay? He has a home that people is big enough for people for a church to meet in, a group of people to meet in. So he's and he has slaves. We find out as we move along here that On, uh, Onesimus is a slave, and uh, as Paul describes this, we can tell that he's a man of some means. He's not. He's not poor. He's not. He's not destitute. He has means. He has a home. He has slaves. He is prosperous in some way. One of the versions I read too was that this um, Appian Archippus. That was probably his wife and his son. Right. Mm-hmm. Which comes into which which is important, uh, which we'll see in just a minute, because the because he actually directs this letter to. Uh, Philemon and his wife. And there's a reason why he would do it, direct this letter to his wife. He makes the argument that he's about to make to Philemon, the husband. But he's including the wife in the discussion because the wife in Roman times was the one who was in charge of slaves. They were the they were the ones who, who had the daily uh, well, they knew what needed to be done in the home. They needed. To, they knew what needed to be picked up at the market. They knew what needed to be uh, cleaned. They knew what needed to be done, whatever it may be, in the home. The husband was out doing whatever he did for business, and the wife was home taking care of the home. But she was. She had servants that were that were doing the work, or working in the garden, or doing whatever. So that's why. Uh, Many theologians believe that this letter was written to her, as well as Philemon. All right, so it was written during his Roman imprisonment. That's described in Acts chapter twenty-eight, uh, thirty and thirty-one. So let's go over there real quick. Uh, we're not going to read a bunch of this. I just want to reference it so that we're seeing it in context of what's happening in chapters 23 and uh, 24. 
Acts chapter 23 and 24. My This version of it does not have headings. So here's what I want you to do. I want somebody to read who has headings in their Bible just to read the headings of chapter 23 slowly. Go for it. Who has headings? Read, read the headings out of chapter 23. Okay. Um, the, first, the first heading is actually on verse 30 of chapter 22. It's called the Sanhedrin Divided. Mm-hmm. And the next one is the plot against Paul. Okay, so we back up. Why is the Sanhedrin divided? Do you remember that story? Do you remember what's happening there? Paul's citizenship? Where he put the Pharisees against the Sadducees? Yes. It's where he it's where they were making charges against him because he was preaching um, and they didn't like it. Ne- neither one liked it. And so what he ended up doing was he, he got up and he said, well, here's the deal. Um, I'm only preaching that uh, Jesus, who I believe was resurrected from the dead, uh, is, is Lord. He's God. Well, the Pharisees didn't really care if he was God or not, but they did believe in the resurrection of the dead, where the Sadducees did not. And so it started an argument. They, they started an argument, and then they couldn't decide. Um, Paul kind of played the, well, he did. He played the Pharisees against the Sadducees, and at least he, he got a, uh, 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 what's it called when uh, the jury is, the hung jury. He got, the, he got a hung jury. Um, and they couldn't pass judgment on him. They they passed him on then to the next group. Go ahead. Oh, okay. The plot against Paul. Yep. So the plot against Paul. Remember, he was being sent to Felix, and as he was going to go, they were going. There was a thirty men that were going to. Was it thirty men? If I remember right, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. That had taken a vow that uh, they would not. Uh, eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul. Uh, the young boy um, 40. was 40 men. 40 men had taken a vow to neither eat or drink until they had killed Paul. And a young boy, was it his nephew or somebody's nephew? or The son of Paul's sister. So would be his nephew. Uh, heard about it. He heard the plot. And went and told Paul. Paul said, hey, <laughs> we need to tell somebody because that's not the way it's supposed to end. <laughs> so he sends word to the Roman guards that there was going to be an ambush. They beefed up the guard and they left early. They took off in the middle of the night. So I've always wondered what happened to those 40 men because they did not kill Paul. <laughs> that's what happens when you take a vow Harshly. I'm guessing most of them broke their vow. <laughs> More than likely. More than likely. Okay, good. So that's the plot against Paul. Go ahead. When you already sent, the one was sent to Felix. So they were sent to, he was sent to Felix to make a judgment call. And then in 24, it's, he's accused of sedition. Mm-hmm. And Felix procrastinates. Mm-hmm. And he decides to wait for... Was it an Herod? Who was supposed to come in? I think some. Yeah, some of the other. Yeah. Felix heard these. Felix and Festus. That's right. 
So he decides to wait till Festus because Festus was coming in for the weekend and let him discuss. So then he goes before Festus and he starts to preach to him. And Festus actually acts as though he's interested. And so Paul kind of puts a little bit more pressure on and Festus gets, uh, gets cold feet and says, what, you know, after one time of preaching, you're expecting me to become one, become like you. And Paul says, said that he is, he, yes, he definitely hopes that Festus becomes like him. And it starts at that point, uh, Festus and Felix, one of my biggest questions of all time, they were going to let him go. They were going to let him go. And Paul appeals to Caesar. And because he appeals to Caesar, he stays imprisoned for another two years. They were going to let him go that night. Yet he appeals to Caesar. Why did the Holy Spirit have him do that? That is just always... Well, he eventually led to his death. Not that trip. He was released and then he was re at the second time around. But That's how he brought the gospel to Rome. It is how he... I mean, I, I, I get that part, you know, because... But it just seems one of those things, like he was going to be free, and he appeals to Caesar, and now he stays in prison for two more years. How does that fit into... To get the soldiers and all the people that are wronged and, you know... To know the gospel, yeah, no, I know that though. So, okay, so let's put it into a into a personal situation. Uh, you get arrested tonight unfairly, okay? You get arrested tonight unfairly, and you go to court tomorrow morning. In court, you plead your case, and the court seems to be going, "Yeah, I don't know why in the world you were arrested last night. This makes no sense whatsoever." And it looks like they're about to let you go. Would you say, nope, that's it. I want to go to the Supreme Court with this, knowing that you were going to be in jail for another two years. You had to wait in jail. You know, it's not like our court system where, you know, everybody gets out. Um, well, I understand that. It just doesn't make doesn't. It's just one of those things that, you know, I understand that it's God's plan and he was able to preach to Caesar. And, so that's it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit thought that he was going to go to Rome, right? Yeah, but that's after the fact. That's the next time, okay. Well, that's well, no, that's when he's in the boat, you know, and he's and he says, "Don't worry, because you're gonna stand before Caesar." Okay. But it's just in the natural; it doesn't make any sense why he would do that. It's just interesting to me. I've never, I've never been fully comfortable with that, you know. But just glad, gratefully, not Paul. We want to go through that. Well, what if he asks us to do something like that? That's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> I know it. I hope the rapture is true. <laughs> yeah, don't. We're not going down that rabbit trail today. All right. So that's what we're talking about here. That's the imprisonment that he writes this letter. He's actually in Rome now. When he writes this, so it's a year and a half after Acts 23 begins and he is in Rome he's a prisoner the the you know the things we've heard if you've ever heard the the description of what his uh, imprisonment was like um, the the actual first imprisonment 
was in an actual dungeon, underground, in the sewer system, nasty, disgusting, horrible. The second imprisonment was in a home. Yeah, uh, house arrest. It was a, like house arrest. So it was a little bit different. Um, but this is the first one. This is the this is the nasty one. So he writes in uh, Philemon one to Philemon. Oh, let, let me say this. Uh, he starts out saying, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy, our brother. Do you notice that he doesn't say a prisoner of Rome? <laughs> that's what he was. Legally, that's what he was. Was he was, a, he was a prisoner of Rome. But way, the way he describes himself is a prisoner for Christ. That whatever situation we find ourselves in, it isn't necessarily the situation that people that it looks like. Our perspective can be, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor for Christ. Well, that's easy to say. I mean, that's what everybody should. Yeah, so that's of course a pastor for Christ. But Justin is a prisoner. It's <laughs> something that feels like that. An engineer for Christ. A a whatever, put yourself a window maker for Christ. That the situation you're in, whatever it may seem like on the outside, we are whatever we are for Christ. Because yes, he was a prisoner of Rome, but he didn't look at himself like that. No, I'm a prisoner for Christ. So how do I live my life? How do I live in what I am doing right now? So, it's easier for me to say it this way. Uh, I am a Krav Maga instructor for Christ. I don't own a business to make money. Just ask my wife. <laughs> when exactly are you going to turn a profit? <laughs> but the reason I do this, I know it's to bring me in contact with people who need to hear the gospel. That, to me, is the reason I do it. Everything else is gravy then. Everything else that that happens, everything else, if I do actually sometime make money, but the impact, the reason God, I believe God has brought me is I'm getting to meet a whole group of people that I would have never met otherwise and had opportunity for them to be influenced by Christ in me and through me. Well, what about you? Meals on wheels, you know? That's me. That's you. <laughs> Meals on wheels for 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 Christ. You know, maybe you don't have a T-shirt that says that, because I don't have a Krav Maga T-shirt that says Krav Maga instructor for Christ, because that would actually, you know, it would actually slow down the process. I think there's there's you know we we want to be wise as serpent and gentle as doves, but you know why you do what you do. You know why you are what you are. Or at least we should. Now, and that's the, the point of tonight is that we, we, we need to know who we are and why we do what we do. We do it not because I need to make a living. We do it to live for Christ in that place, in that opportunity, in that situation that we're in at the moment. All right. But then he says to Philemon our beloved fellow worker and Aphia our sister and Archippus our fellow soldier and the church in your house so 
He was a Christian who's living in Colossae. Uh, this is the only place in the New Testament where Philemon's name is mentioned. We don't hear about him any other place. So we really know nothing about him except what's in this letter and what we can glean from it. Um, but we do know that he was a beloved friend of Paul's, which, which is a pretty high uh, remark. And he was a friend. He wasn't just an acquaintance. And he wasn't a co-worker, although he was a co-worker. You can have co-workers who aren't friends. <laughs> you have nothing to say about that. But you can have co-workers who aren't friends. So to have a co-worker who is a friend, well, that's, you know, that's, that's neat. That's, that's amazing. So... Um, here he is he is referenced as a beloved friend of Paul's Paul's friendship with Philemon is shown by something significant missing in this greeting of the 13 letters Paul wrote to the churches or individuals if you think of uh, Timothy and Titus and the of those 13 letters that Paul wrote to those to the churches or the individuals nine of them he calls himself an apostle in the opening verse. In this letter, along with Philippians and First and Second Thessalonians, Paul appeals to his reader more as a friend and less and less as an apostle, which is significant. That if it was a letter to the church, he would he would have said, "I'm a, you know, a, a Paul, an apostle of Christ." You remember how he was always asserting. His apostleship. Now, interestingly, as the letter goes on, he, he pulls out the apostle card, or at least the 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 leader card. Okay, and we'll see that. But that's not how he how he greets them in this opening letter. In this letter, Paul will appeal to Philemon regarding a runaway slave who has met Jesus and found refuge with Paul. In the customs of the day, Philemon's wife. Uh, Aphia was the supervisor of the slaves in the household. So the letter concerned her also. So, um, we find out, and we'll see this in just a few verses, that Philemon was born again. He was a, he was a, a, a believer. And he became a believer through Paul. Paul led him to the Lord. Onesimus goes, he runs away from Philemon. He was his slave. Onesimus was. Yeah. That's what I just said. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Didn't I? Mm-hmm. I believe I did. Oh, Onesimus runs away to Rome. The, the people that I read, you know, reading the commentaries and such, some of them said that Onesimus found Paul by accident. I don't believe he did. I, I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows for sure how Onesimus ends up meeting with Paul. My guess is, is that when Paul was in Colossae, he had meetings, people were getting saved, he got to know people. He became a friend of Philemon, Maybe spent some time there. We don't know in his home. 
uh, but at least you know they became very good friends publicly. I mean, it was a public public display of friendship. Um, my guess is that Onesimus recognized Paul as a friend of. Go ahead. Well, some some say he wasn't a slave, Onesimus, that he was actually Philemon's brother. That's another interpretation of it. Possibly, but the 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 verbiage that's used in Philemon is very he's, he's a bond servant, okay. which means which which is the bond servant is a different than just a regular slave. Remember what a bond servant is? A bond servant is a slave. So a person who starts out as a slave. They could start out as a slave in a lot of different ways. Um, because uh, Philemon is a Roman citizen, it would not be outside of the realm of, of possibility that he was actually a conquered foe. You know, they, they, he was, uh, Philemon was a part of the army. There was a war. Uh, they overran a city. They could take the spoils of the city. Possibly Philemon took Onesimus as a slave. I don't know when in what I read. I don't know what the what the statute of limitations, for last you know, lack of a better term, what the term of a servant who has been taken in a war are they always a slave, or at some point are they freed? I don't know. But a bond servant, and he's described as a bond servant. A bond servant is a slave, usually a slave that has has had to sell himself into slavery because of a debt, or because of someone else's debt. He might have been the son of somebody who was in debt to the house of Philemon or to somebody else's house, and and they was traded at some point for financial gain. But they are they had to go into slavery to pay off their debt to that person or to someone. And, and once the debt was paid, so say they owed, um, thinking in today's terms, say uh, you owed me $40,000. You would come to me and say, I don't have $40,000, but I will work for you for a year for free. And I would take you then as a slave to work for me for a year or $80,000, two years or whatever. I'm just trying to put it in, in, in realistic and in understandable terms. So you would come and you'd work for me. But if you came and worked for me for two years for no pay, I still had the responsibility to house you and feed you. Because obviously you don't have the money to pay me back. You don't have any money. So I had to agree that if you're going to come and pay off your debt to me for two years, then I, then, then I need to feed you and house you. Take care of your creature needs, so on and so forth. After two years, after your debt was paid... You're free to go. But some of these slaves came in and went, you know, this is not such a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't slavery in the typical fashion we think of slavery. Ish, yeah. Because there were good slave owners. And, and, and the good slave owners could... be If they're good slave owners, the slave may go, you know what, this is kind of a great gig. You know, I got my house. I got a house. I'm living really nice. It's a good job. I'm I'm room and board paid for. Room and bit board is paid for. They um, possibly would even have wife and children mm-hmm. by the same master. Exactly, and they could decide to continue to be a slave. And 
The bond servant was a was a specific uh, portion of of slaves in there that they choose to be slaves. And when they chose to be slaves, they had to go in front of the the community. They had to to say it publicly. I'm choosing to continue to work for Justin. You know, he's been a great master. I want to continue to work for him. Um, I want to now be his bond servant, which means then publicly I've made this confession. Justin goes, hey, sounds great to me. I, I promise to keep taking care of him and maybe even pay me something. There may be a there may be a remuneration in there somehow. Um, but then that decision is usually for life. Yeah, they, they then so once they do this, they do this in front of the ho- the house of the master, then they put their ear on the on the post, the the post around the door, and they push an all through it and then put a ring in the in the ear to signify. So the hole reminds the guy every day he comes home. I have, you know, that hole where the all went is I have to take care of him, the ring and the hole in the person's ear. So they become a bond servant. Onesimus is described as a bond servant. And that he chose to do this for some reason. Um, he chose to become a part of uh, Philemon's household. All right. So I, I don't know. You know, we, all we have is what, what, what we see in. In Philemon, most people say he was a slave. Yeah, yeah. Everything I've ever read says that. They also said that um, uh, who's the Archippus is Philemon's son. Right. Mm-hmm. Did you say that too already? No, Diana did though. Oh. <laughs> so you don't not you not only not listen to me, you're not you not listen to Diana either. No, she yes, and on your behalf, you're not auditory. This is the time when our mind wanders. <laughs> What's my grocery list tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> What's well, like? Have you ever seen uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? We are now taking a a, a, a break. No, 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 no. That's what goes on in Death's Mind. No, 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 no. All right. Verse three. Grace and peace, or grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gave his customary greeting of grace and peace found in each one of his letters. However, this greeting was not directed towards an entire congregation, but to Philemon as an individual that makes the letter unique among Paul's writings. Um, the other pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, Titus, are also written first to individuals, but the character of their content suggests that they were intended to be shared with the entire congregation. Philemon really is a personal note written by Paul to one man. So that brings me to the question, why is it in Scripture? If it's a personal letter written to an individual, why did God include it? It was never, it was never intended for public reading. But apparently they did. Remember when we talked about uh, how Scripture became canonized or how it became part of officially accepted Scripture? One of the criteria was it had to be re- it had to be read on a regular basis in church services in in meetings. Now, side question for you: When was the last time 
you heard a sermon that included a verse from Philemon. I don't think I ever asked. Verse 6. Verse 6? Which one is that? Actually, here in the King James. Oh, I'm still in Acts here. Go ahead and read that. Let me read it in King James. Here in a second. It says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Right. And, and I would I would submit that that may be one of the only reasons that this is in here. That and one other verse. 22. <laughs> You're going to get that one in here tonight, aren't you? <laughs> oh, no, we're not going 22 yet. Nope, nope, not yet. Not yet. Yes, and you ever heard Philemon in a, in a uh, sermon? Yeah, I heard verse 22 in a sermon. Have you? Yeah. Uh, let me just quick look down. At the same time, <laughs> prepare a guest room for me. Which is interesting because the guy's in prison. He's telling me to prepare a guest room for him. Mm-hmm. He believes he's going to get out. He has faith to get out. So I was kind of wondering if you demonstrated faith and prayer is going to be answered. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I'm guessing yes. Anyone? What was the question again, Vince? Is <laughs> <laughs> he showing faith to get out of jail? Is he showing faith to get out of jail? Is that what you're asking? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's a demonstration of faith. That's why I heard the sermon. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Well, so he's in jail and he's saying, yeah, prepare a guest room for me because apparently he thinks... Well, read the second half yeah. of the verse. It says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Mm-hmm. So I think it says that. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not yeah. interesting. A guy in jail is telling somebody, yeah, just prepare a guest room for me because he had no idea what he was getting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> to act as though, you know, our prayers and requests are going to be answered. Mm-hmm. So he's demonstrating very powers, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, you know, when we wonder how can we demonstrate faith, there it is. You know, act like you're going to be coming out. You know, act like you're going to go see somebody, you know, or in that situation. And I've heard I've heard examples and examples and examples of people who have acted out by faith things that they did not have the capacity to do at the time. Uh, I heard a young man one time who was who felt like God was leading him to a, a traveling ministry and had never been out of the area, the region where he was born. I mean, he, he was born in inner city Texas, inner city, I can't remember which city, it was either Houston or Dallas or whatever it was. And he had never left there, ever. But he got saved, he you know, did some different things, was a part of a ministry, and really felt like God was saying he needed he was gonna be a traveling minister. So he and his friends would take the bus down to the down to the airport, and this is when you act, you could actually walk all the way to the gates. The good old days. Way back, way back when. Oh, not that far. Fifteen years. Before nine eleven. Before nine eleven, yeah. It's not that long ago, if you're old enough, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
he and his friends would would uh, he'd pack a bag and he would go you know go all the way down and they'd go all the way to the plane and he'd stand and wave to him and they'd wave to him and I mean he had actually acted out and he said and and that when I heard him he was a traveling minister he flew all over the world and country and so I don't know did that help I don't know it, it maybe it maybe inspired him you know that it was possible that at least he you know got past I don't know I mean it's just interesting. Uh, to our natural mind, it sounds really silly to say that because you're in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. We'll come back to 22. <laughs> Verse 4. <laughs> Verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Uh, Justin, do you have the NI or the uh, King James version of those two verses? Yep. Specifically four. Specifically four. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Okay, making mention, making mention. It doesn't mean that he prayed a whole, you know, long flowery prayers for. Philemon. But it says he mentioned them in his prayers. And he mentioned them uh, on a regular basis. Sometimes I just heard I just heard a individual talking about prayer. How somebody asked, well, how, how you know, the, the international speaker, how many hours a day do you pray? And he kind of went, um, I can't really say I pray for hours. And this is a guy who's an author, he's a speaker, he's he travels, he's well well received, and very spiritual man, but it isn't about the the fact of praying for hours or you know jumping some through some uh, level of having to be some level of spirituality. He mentioned them in his prayers. Father, I pray that you'll bless Jason. Whoever Jason is. I just it's the first thing that popped into my head. Jason Justin. Bless Jason Justin. Okay. I don't know if there's anything going on with Jason. The Lord hasn't hasn't inspired me to pray any more than that. But you you mention him, hey, bless his work today, uh, bless his free time, lunch, maybe he has a great lunch. I don't know. But it isn't that he had you have to have this long theological, oh father. Uh, take Jason Justin and so Jason you need to listen to this now so you Jason Justin and you know I pray that this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens and go into this long prayer you, you, we can mention somebody in prayer Father I pray that you'll bless Jason Justin today and that's powerful there's there's there is uh, there is anointing that goes with that Verse 6, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let me read that again, because I think this is, to me, anyway, this is one of those significant verses that I believe the the reason that Philemon is in the Bible is because of, of this concept, this thought. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective 
for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul prayed for Philemon, desiring that the sharing of his faith would become effective as Philemon understood the work God did in him. How does the sharing of our faith become effective? I think this verse gives us a key. How do we get good at sharing our faith? How does sharing... How do we become powerful in sharing our faith? We can ask it a number of different ways. From your testimony is Absolutely. And I think that's what this alludes to, is that it's our testimony. Um, what are we called to do? Do you remember what, when you think of, of, of Jesus' command to us, what are we called to do? Servant. Servant. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. When he says to go to Jerusalem, he said, don't go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere else until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because when you do, you will receive power to be a what? A witness. A witness. If you go to a courtroom and you are considered a witness, what does that mean? You've actually seen or experienced something. You've actually seen or experienced something. Why don't people want to witness? Lack of faith. Or. Rejection. Or. Dangerous. Fear. Or they haven't seen anything. That's true. To be a witness, you have to have witnessed something. And we're just witnessing by faith. But but what are we witnessing of? That's I, I heard this concept a long time ago, and it's one of those things where I heard it, I've known it, but I it just it was it's a concept that was okay. I know that. And I've never done anything with it. But this verse tonight, this verse getting ready for this class, it kind of one of those things where it, where it nudges at it again, and it kind of, oh, yeah, I've never, I haven't thought about this in years. Why don't people witness? Partly is they haven't seen it. They haven't seen anything. You don't bring a witness into a courtroom who hasn't seen what, what, what the court appearance is all about so tell me about the accident out on 36 from your own words how what what was the accident like out on 36 this afternoon he didn't see it so he can't be a witness to it because he didn't see it i didn't see it either it didn't happen but i'm just i you know, I, I knew it was a safe one i could ask you know <laughs> but if you did witness it, then you can bear, you can bear witness. You can you can tell you can be a witness to what happened. Interesting thing. Uh, this last weekend, I can I can I don't know if did I tell you about the Somali 
Men? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So I, I met I met Krav Maga. Uh, we were doing a test this weekend. We had uh, 13 people taking a test. Actually, more than that. It was 20-some. Uh, doing a test. And at one point, I was actually giving the test. I was calling out the commands, and they were doing it, and so on and so forth. And out of the corner of my eyes, there's, they have, a, they have a, uh, a retractable door. Out of the corner of my eye, I see movement. So I turn and I look, and two men walk past the door... And when they do, they look inside, and then they keep going. Now, they didn't do anything specifically suspicious. It wasn't anything that I, that I thought, okay, I need to watch them. I, do, I need to be careful of them. I, they just walked by. But I did notice these two men walked by. About 10 minutes later, a police officer comes running into the building through that same door and says... Have you seen two Somali men run past here? And I, I stopped the test and I said, actually, I, they didn't run past here, but they did walk past and they were headed that direction. He immediately takes off in that direction. Another 10 minutes pass and he comes back and he says, um, did you see them carrying anything? And I said, I did not. I said, they walked past, they looked in the building and they kept going but they didn't. They weren't doing anything that really seemed suspicious. There's people walking by all the time. I just noticed that they went by. That was all I noticed. And I said I did not see them carrying anything. And he said, "Well, we just had a had a report of two Somali men chasing a woman down the street with a machete. We have caught the men. They've been identified by the woman that those were the two men. But we can't find the machete." So then the rest of the afternoon, they were walking around. They were out, outside of our building. They went up on top of the building. They were in the weeds. They, they were going everywhere, and they were looking for the machete. By the time I left, they hadn't found it. Okay. I witnessed something. I witnessed a portion of what happened that day. So little, it really wasn't important. I mean, it really isn't. I will never be brought to court because it doesn't really matter. But I saw it. I saw it with my own ears, and I was I, so I could. So right now, I could tell you about what just happened, and I could tell you from authority that hey, this is what happened. I saw this happen, and this is what happened. And the police came back in, and then they were outside looking. And I could give you. I could bear witness to that incident that somebody else couldn't. Another example of it uh, of, of being a witness. Things that you don't that you wouldn't even know. Um, I had an aunt, my mom's aunt. It was my my mother's aunt. Uh, when I knew her, it was in the sixties and seventies. She was ninety six in in nineteen seventy nine. So somebody do the math. When she when was she born? Eighty six, seven, eighty six, eighty somewhere somewhere on there, ish. And she lived her whole life in northern Minnesota. She grew up in the woods, in the middle of nowhere. Her family homesteaded. They built cabins, and they homesteaded 240 acres in the North Woods. So one day we were sitting, I was sitting and talking with her. And I was 16, 15, 16, 17, and I asked, the, and she was talking about how she would walk back and forth to school every day, seven miles. She would walk seven miles to school, and she would come back through the woods by herself as a young girl, as a as a grade schooler. She would walk seven miles through the woods. And, I, and you know, my thing as a, you know, um, uh, Alan, 
What was her name? Mary. No. No, the name of our lake. Lake Marie. Marie. I said Marie. Too many things going on in my head at one time here. Marie, I said, weren't you afraid of bears? And she laughed at me. I laughed at me. She goes, no, John, there weren't any bears around in those days. I said, really? Because there was bears in the 60s and 70s. I mean, we, we, we would see them every once in a while. She goes, no. She goes, there's never any bears. But we were scared to death of the wild boars. Ever tell the story Wild boars. I didn't know there were wild boars in, in northern Minnesota in the, in the 1800s. So here's somebody, though, who was an eyewitness to it. I have no reason to, you know, to doubt that there were wild boars in northern Minnesota. Why? Because somebody I met saw them. So she could say that, and I believe it, because she saw it. Same thing with Christianity. Here he's talking about, let's read that verse again. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So, I'm gonna, I'll just read the, the phrase that this uh, uh, person wrote down just because it, it says it so well. This is the foundation for all effective evangelism. The overflow of a life touched and changed by God. God had done every good thing in the life of Philemon. Now it was a matter of it being acknowledged by both Philemon and those he shared the faith with. When these good things were understood, others would come to Christ. The reason why some sharing of the faith is not effective is because we don't know or can't communicate every good thing God has done for us. What is the most effective way to share Christ, to share your faith? Just talk about what God's done for you. Just making it simple. Sharing what God has done for you. What has he done for you? My testimony. I can share my testimony anywhere in the world, and it is effective, and it's it's relatable. Because I'm a human being who lives on this earth. So when I tell you my story of what God did for me, at any given point, how I got saved, how he, you know, how, how I got initially saved, how did I get born again? Born again at four years old, I could tell you the story. I could tell you the story of how I got born again. What God did in my life for the years following that. Because there's a story, and I tell that story in different different times and ways. But I can also tell you the story how God got, forgave me for being an idiot and walking away from him. How, the restoration story of the rededication of my life to Christ is its own testimony of what of the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. But I could also tell you about uh, the, the stories of how God moved miraculously at different times, because I've seen it. I've seen the miraculous. I've seen instantaneous healings in other people and in myself. And that sharing of that story has power with it. I can tell you about what God did through Deb, and I've shared this. You know, I've shared that story how many times about how how uh, Deb was going to die, and Ethan could have died. I mean, they gave Ethan a less than you know a fifty fifty chance. I mean, he may or may not live. That's a great chance. Same thing with Deb. You know, it doesn't look good, but what God did, I can tell you that story. Why don't people feel comfortable witnessing? 
Now, I'm actually going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. It isn't because they haven't seen anything, because they have seen something. They've seen their own conversion. They, they understand it, but they don't know how to tell that story. If they could figure out, if, if we as, as the church could figure out how to tell our story, that story has power. That story, every time you tell that story, there's an anointing that goes with it. We need to get back to that. Because it isn't about what God did for somebody else. Now, you might actually have heard the story from somebody else or whatever. Um, and, and those stories can help, but they don't have the same power as what God did for you. And you telling your story, being effective, the, the sharing of your faith being effective in uh, somebody else's life, because there's an anointing that goes with that. I remember um, a church I used to go to, they, they kind of put it as, um, they, well, they encouraged people to, to basically um, uh, evangelize other people by sharing how God has changed your life. And I remember for a couple of years being kind of uneasy about that because I didn't really know. And I, at some point I came to the kind of the the point where it's like, you know, maybe it's because I haven't really let him, you know, and if, if you don't have a story of how God has changed your life, it's in some cases because some people won't let, let him actually <laughs> change anything in their life, and, and uh, I think that that's important too. Now, why verse 6 reads differently? Uh, it's from the you know, Jewish Bible, it says, I pray that the fellowship based on your commitment will produce full understanding of every good thing that is ours in union with the Messiah. So, um, what version is that? It's the complete Jewish Bible by David Stern. Oh. So. I think another aspect of this, and I think testimony is probably the primary thing it's alluding to, but um, another reason why people will not um, share their faith is because they still have their mind in the mode of, well, I'm not really good enough. And, you know, it's, it's their own self-righteousness that they're looking at, and it's like, well, there's nothing special about me. And so an aspect of this is the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you includes that, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and all the things that, that we know to be true through the Word because of being born again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, understanding who we are in Christ and being okay with that, you know, be accepting that. So then, then all those other things come into play. Fear, doubt, unbelief, you know, why don't we witness? Well, but first of all, I think, I think we have to come to the point where we have to be able to verbalize and articulate what has Christ done for us. And when we do that, Yes, we're gonna. Have, we have to also deal through go through all of the uh, the uh, strongholds that are going to try to keep. Well, I don't. I'm unworthy. I don't. You know, I don't deserve this. And who am I to speak for God? Or, yeah, definitely. But by understanding, by being able to articulate, it doesn't have to be really long. The testimony doesn't have to be a 45 minute sermon. You know, the professionals get it to where you. I mean, I can do this thing. I, I can fit it into any situation. Anytime, and I do on a regular basis. I, you know, just on th- last Thursday, I gave 
a very short snippet of of the testimony of you know praying. I was I was talking about praying, but I used the testimony of praying for Deb and praying for Ethan because it, that's why do I tell stories? Because it's the story that has the power. The the tell the testimony. I'm giving testimony of the goodness of God, and. I believe that's why God's allowed me to be effective because I'm not coming out with my own wisdom. You know, what I did, most of the time the testimonies I have are about how dumb I was. You know, and, and admitting that, that, hey, you know, I just didn't, didn't get this. I wasn't, a, I, was, I was less than, I was a fool. I was, but I, or I didn't have, I, 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 I didn't have all the answers, but God did. That's a testimony. I think another, another aspect of this that's important because I think some people tend to gravitate towards trying to tell other people's stories mm-hmm. and because they think there's a lot of better story than the story that I have um, that that wouldn't count as a witness so if Diana said that you saw those two walking by that wouldn't be <clears throat> valid testimony as mm-hmm. a witness because she wasn't the witness mm-hmm. so that, I think that that's that's important to I mean you have to be a witness yourself and, and that's actually more effective mm-hmm. so exactly you need to have your own stories you need to have your own stories most people don't feel comfortable telling telling any story let alone their story but that takes practice I, I, w- I have not always been a good storyteller I've had people recently tell me you're a very good storyteller well because I do it all the time and have been practicing on a weekly, daily basis for 25 years now. Okay, well, practice. You know, I mean, at first, I, I remember the first time I got up in front of a group and had to tell my, share my testimony. There were, you know, actually, years into it, Deb used to count how many ums and ahs. <laughs> I, I would I, we'd be driving home from church and I'd say, how was the sermon? Well, you said 25 ums and it's like, really? That's the critique I'm going to get every week? But it, it helped me because it made me aware of I need to get better at this. I need to become more proficient at at speaking. So do I ever say um and ah anymore? I mean, you know, I do. I, saw it. I know I do, but it. I've gotten better. I've gotten a little bit better. Okay. So, I guess I, I don't think we're supposed to get off this yet. Stories. By next week. By next week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Homework. Huh? Homework. Oh, yeah. You have to give one 30-second story about what God has done in your life. could be about how, he's, how you got saved. It could be a healing. It could be a provision story. A testimony. Giving testimony. It doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have 13 verses and the, you know, the, some... Uh, I was going to say Mormon Tabernacle. We definitely don't want them. Uh, the what's the one out in the East Coast? Whatever. Thirty second testimony next week. This is what God did for me. Anytime doesn't have to be in the last week. It could be any time in your lifetime. But it has to be your story. What God has done. Amen. All right. Verse eight. Accordingly. So we finally get into Paul's plead for Onesimus. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So, it's clear that Paul is going to ask Philemon for a favor. Bottom line, 
Hey, Philemon, I'm going to let you know, I could tell you to do this, but I'm going to ask you nicely. And to put it into the John Neitzel revised version. Um, so it's clear that he's going to ask Philemon for a, for a favor, but before he asks, he appeals for love's sake instead of making it a command. Of course, under the surface, Paul made it clear that he had the right to command him to do what is fitting, yet he appeals in love. A loving appeal is often better than an authoritative command. Paul wasn't hesitant to command when the situation demanded it. He did it in other books. In other in other letters that he wrote, churches and ministries and so on and so forth, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 is one of the examples. Um, he commands them to kick the person out, the, the person who's sinning. He says, kick them out. I'm telling you, kick them out. And he has the authority to do it. But in wisdom, he knew that in this situation, he needed to make a loving appeal, that commanding wasn't the best angle, the best way to go about it. Um, but he also uh, appeals to Philemon's sympathies by the way he describes himself, his age, his circumstance. So reread that. I've always thought this is hilarious, uh, I, and I've got a really weird sense of humor, but I think it's just funny. Um, accor- uh, accordingly, though, I am a, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. So he, he's playing the he's playing the sympathy card. Yeah, I'm an old man, and if it, because I'm an old man, please do this for me. You know. He's really laying it on thick. He's re- he's kind of covering all of his bases. Bottom line, Philemon, you're going to do what I what I want you to do, whether I have to make you do it or whether you're going to f- feel bad for me because I'm an old man and I have I have a request. I'm stuck in prison. Yeah, I'm stuck in prison. Yeah, he plays he plays the prison card. You know, <laughs> exactly. So, but he does make this appeal based on love. He does what he can to stir up the loving sympathy of Philemon. Bef- Philemon, before I tell you what I need you to remember that I'm an old man and a prisoner at that. Some translations have ambassador instead of aged. There's a difference of one letter between the two ancient Greek words. I don't know that it makes any different, you know, difference. I mean, Paul does, does use the the phrase and the phraseology of being an ambassador. Okay, it, it could be all right. Aged makes a better story, so we'll go with aged. How's that sound? All right. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Onesimus is a, is a, uh, a runaway and escaped slave who escaped from his master Philemon. It seems that when Onesimus escaped, he fled to Rome and intentionally or not met with Paul. I, I tend to believe he probably did it intentionally. He knew who Paul was. He had probably even met him. Paul probably was a nice guy to him. You know, and so he thought, hey, I've got a friend over here, and he's a Christian, so I'm sure he'll let me off. Because we're going to find out here in just a moment, an escaped slave was not something that they winked at back then. They actually treated them extremely harshly. So he thought, if I go to Paul, Paul's all about grace. Maybe he'll, he'll, maybe he'll be my advocate in this situation. So... 
um, while he is under house arrest and by the Romans, Onesimus is led to faith in Christ. So the phraseology that's used here, uh, or will be used here, it, Onesimus wasn't saved, and he gets saved. Paul leads him to the Lord. So it's, it's logical that Onesimus escaped to Rome, the biggest city of the Roman Empire. Uh, a theologian by the name of Lightfoot says, Rome was the natural cesspool, cesspool for, for these off-scourgings of humanity. But at his providential meeting of Paul in Rome, Onesimus met the man who led his master Philemon to Jesus. When Paul made this appeal on behalf of Onesimus, he followed deep traditions in Roman culture. There was an ancient Greek law inherited by the Romans allowing any escaped slave sanctuary at an altar. The altar could even be the hearth of a, fa- of a private family home. Then the head of the family was obligated to give the slave pr- protection while he tried to persuade him to return to his master. If the slave refused, the head of the family would put the slave up for auction and give the price for the slave to the former master. Paul gave Onesimus protection and now was working the issue out with Philemon. So there's a reason Onesimus went to Paul. He thought, I can find sanctuary there. Even in the prison, even in his imprisonment, the, the law would still apply because we've, you know Paul says that Onesimus has been taking care of my needs. He's been working for Paul while he's been in Rome. He came there, he took, Paul took care of him, he, was, he gave him sanctuary, he was protecting him. Why was he protecting him? Because a runaway slave could be punished severely. If caught, if, if a person was found to be a runaway slave, they could be uh, punished extremely severely. Um, um, I'm going to read this note, even though it's not in this order. But one ancient writer described how a slave carried a carried a tray of crystal goblets, and he dropped and broke one. The master instantly demanded the slave be thrown into a fish pond full of lampreys. That to- it's uh, like eels. eels, like eels. Okay, um, sharp teeth. I lost my uh, into a fish pond full of lampreys that tore the slave to to pieces. Roman law practically imposed no limits to the power of the master over his slave. The alternative of life or death rested solely with Philemon, and slaves were constantly crucified for far lighter offenses than this. <laughs> that looks like the uh, the sand thing in in uh, Star Wars. Yes, the the death of a thousand years. Yeah. Yes. Considering the huge number of slaves in the Roman Empire, they thought the harsh punishment against escaped or rebellious slaves was necessary in an empire with with which had as many as 60 million slaves. 
there were constant fears of a slave revolt. Therefore, laws against runaways were strict. When captured, a runaway slave might be crucified or branded with a red-hot iron on the forehead with the letter F for fugitive. So the Onesimus was... was he needed sanctuary. He's looking for sanctuary. Paul gave it to him and said he would protect him, led him to the Lord, but at the same time told him, now you need to go back. Uh, verse 11. Uh, so I'm sorry, verse 10. I appeal to you my for my son Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. That phrase is actually a play on words. Onesimus, the Roman, uh, the the uh, Latin uh, translation of Onesimus is useful. So his his name meant useful. So when he said he was formerly useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. He was he was making a play on Onesimus's name. So. Paul was, was uh, or I'm sorry, Onesimus was profitable to Paul. He served him in the, during the house arrest, or during the arrest. He, uh, um, he was formerly unprofitable to Philemon because he was a runaway. He didn't want to work for Philemon anymore, and he wasn't saved. So he didn't have the right, the right focus. But now that he's saved, Paul is saying, hey, he's going to come back, and he's going to be dedicated to serving you. He's going to be dedicated to doing the right thing, because he's not only, uh, I've not only told him that he needs to be a good, you know, to fulfill his, his vow, but he's also now saved. He's, he's, he has a basis to, to act right, to make the right decisions um, in, in uh, service to you, uh, Philemon. So it's significant to note that Paul claims that in Christ, the useless person is made useful. And that's a beautiful statement along that line. All right. Well, I got you. I am sending him back to you, verse 12, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. That's another one of those places I think that, that, that Paul is making, is, is making light of this, going, you know, I know you really would like him to stay with me and to serve me, because you can't. And so I'd love to keep him, but, you know, I, I know it's better that I send him back to you. So he's, Paul, Paul's going to be an interesting guy to talk to in heaven. I, I think he was, uh, he, he definitely had a, had a, has a, had a different, I mean, had a, interesting comical uh, viewpoint of life we can see it here in the in this letter I suppose maybe you had some you had kind of harsh life <laughs> no kidding needed to laugh a little bit exactly and then verse 14 final verse here is but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord so Paul wants Philemon to accept Onesimus back and not punish him. He's saying, okay, you made a mistake. He shouldn't have done this, but he's now a believer. He's now a brother, and he's ready to come back to you. Receive him back. Don't don't punish him for this. Okay? I think he's actually asking him to release him from this. 
concert of the status, but you have to get into one of the verse 16. Do you think so? Yeah. The later? Yeah, verse 16 says no longer. Oh, we're not to 16 yet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have said Because he offered to pay his debt and these. He asked him to receive him as a bro- brother rather than a bondservant. So I think he's actually sending him back as an act of goodwill, but asking him to be released from, hmm. from that. And that um, verse 13 goes with 14, because I think Paul actually would have liked to keep him around. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, but he said, he preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion. Mm-hmm. Right, compulsion but of your own court. So I think he he wants him to be, be removed from the obligation, which obviously probably had something to do with him running away in, mm-hmm. in the first place, so that he can be useful both to Paul and to and to mm-hmm. as, awesome. as a laborer for the gospel. I think that's Hmm. Well, we'll have to look at that. Tell me what you guys think next week. All right. Anything else? Anything else? And next week we will definitely get to 16 and 22. (laughs) Although we talked about 22. And so, at the end here, next week's assignment... One thirty-second testimony. What has God done for you? What tell us what God has done for you? Doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to even be. It doesn't have to be inspiring because it will be inspiring because it's what God did for you. Uh, but it doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be professional. Just tell us what God did. That's the best kind. It's just saying, here's what God's done for me. Uh, as well as we're having a party next week. So we're having a party at the during during the uh, TG during the, the Bible study. So bring food of all kinds, whatever you would like to bring. Um, does anybody need suggestions? Uh, whatever whatever's on your heart: cookies, sweets, salad, roast pig. I don't care. Whatever you whatever you would like. All right. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this night. And Father, we just thank you that even out of this 14 verses, we see you. We see you. We understand your love for people, your your requirement for us to, to walk in love, but also for the encouragement that, that what you have done for us is powerful. Thank you, Father, for all you have done for us, how you've, you've given us life, you've given us hope, you've given us... Uh, forgiveness for who we used to be and for what we used to live like. But Lord, thank you so much that through Jesus Christ, we truly are free. And the only one that we're a bondservant to is you. Lord, we give you glory, praise, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.